This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Okay, our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and also verse 97. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. This is the word of the Lord. God. Amen. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> well, I was glad when they sent unto me, but let's go into the house of the Lord. Good morning. How are you all? Good. Welcome to those who are watching online. Um, it is a gift and joy to stand before you today. Um, if you are new here, uh, I want to introduce myself. My name is Miguel and have the honor to serve as one of the pastors here at Park Church. And so um, it is a joy to be before you. Um, it's not by accident if you're tuning in today or even here today because God's Word is living, it's active, um, and it speaks. And so what I would love to do um, is to go sit before the throne of the Lord. And um, if you could pray for each other, pray for myself, and pray for all of us as we go sit and hear what God has to say to us through Psalm 119 in terms of meditation. Amen? Amen. Oh, see, the, like, y'all was talking now. Don't act like y'all can't talk now. All right? Um, no, but seriously, let's quiet our hearts. Let's go to the Father, and remember that God is, is real. Um, it's not just some, you're not just throwing things or trying to throw it in the air and hope it get caught, but God is real. He hears the prayers of His children, and He can meet us right where we're at today. So let's know that our God is with us and ever-present. Father, my prayer today is simple, that you would just reveal yourself, that you will remove the scales off of our eyes, open the doorways of our hearts, bring the walls that blocks our mind to be able to experience you today. Through your word, it will encourage, it will rebuke, it will ignite, it will bring life from dead places, and I pray, Father, that it will do just that that we will be a different people, not because of me or anything, but because of the power of your word. As I hide behind the cross, Father, I pray that they see you. So Lord, help us to understand, help us to know, to see how we can meditate more on who you are. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together as the church said, amen. Let me ask you this question. What is your fuel? 
What is your fuel? What keeps you going? What sustains you? What gives you strength? What gives you energy? What gives you the comfort, the rest, as you live day to day? You see, fuel powers things. Fuel takes that which is burning and it produces heat and it produces power. See, fuel comes in the form of food as well. What you eat and what you drink gives you the source of energy. Fuel supplies power for vehicles and machines and industries, or excuse me, industrial plants. You see, fuel causes the fire to burn more intently. See, fuel sustains and it inflames that which it is in contact with. So my question to you today is what is your fuel? You know what your fuel is by what you meditate on often. What consumes your mind, what you ponder on, what you think about, what absorbs you the most is the fuel for your life. Believers and non-believers alike in this room, everyone meditates, everyone. Everyone has a meditation, has a source that gives them the fuel for life. The question is, who and what are you meditating on? You cannot not meditate. You cannot get away from it. So that's why I ask, what is it that fuels you? What do you, keeps you and marinates you, give you the strength here? And what we're going to see today in the simplest uh, form of this text, as we preach it here, is that when we meditate on God's words and ways, it produces transformation from the inside out. In the simplest form, when you meditate on God's words and ways, it produces transformation from the inside out. And see, what we're going to talk about today, and for those who are new or those who are just joining us, we've been going through the summer, Christ in the Psalms. And what we're spending is the next two weeks, we'll start from last week, uh, we did a three weeks we're talking about Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. I mean, we could preach that just in one sermon, but we're going to be here for a couple of hours. <laughs> and so Pastor Matt talks about God's Word over us as His authority. Today we're going to talk about God's Word in us as it relates to what we meditate on. And then next week we'll talk about God's Word to us as it's a source of direction for our lives. Meditation is a big thing. Meditation is not foreign to our world. Every, like I said, everybody meditates alike. The question is who or what you're meditating on. Let me give you some statistics on how meditation is really big here. Meditation or mindfulness, the industry is, it's a billion dollar industry and it's projected to be a two billion dollar industry by 2022. Nearly 40% of Americans practice meditation once a week, 40%. About 14% or 15% of the global population practice meditation of some form or mindness, mindfulness of some type. 
So again, it goes back. It ain't, it, it's not a question of do you meditate, because we all do. The question is what and who you meditate on. And hear me now. What we meditate on gets in us. And what is in our hearts, it will come out. Meditation isn't just something that's stored in the mind and it's there. It hits our mind, it goes to our hearts, and then it outflows from there. It affects all of our being. And what I want to do right now is put the, 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 the contrast up. We have worldly meditation and we have biblical meditation. Worldly meditation, biblical meditation. Let me talk about for worldly, the, ver, the, the world's version of meditation. See. And understand here, when people meditate, I think this is important, people meditate because they want to not be stressed. They want to not, they want to have peace. There, there's something that they're going to, again, that fuels them. They want to not experience the hardship or the stress of life, or they want to feel, or, or to help them heal in certain ways. And when you think about the world's version of meditation, it actually has its roots and its origin in Eastern religion, in New Age religion. So when there's this practice of Zen, this practice of yoga, I know, I'm sorry, it's real. We love our yoga, but hear me now. Seriously, hear me now. When we practice these forms of Zen and yoga and the stuff that comes from Hinduism and Buddhism, this stuff is embedded in false religion, and it comes from there. And that's what's pushing this worldly form of meditation. And it's dangerous. And I'm going to tell you why it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it actually is opposite of what God tells us to do when it comes to meditation. It actually, it opposes the very thing that it says do. When you practice these forms of meditation, what they're saying is that you ought to empty your mind. You ought to empty your mind and thoughts of the images to try to enter a trans-hypnotic state in which the prefrontal cortex is basically turned off. It's trying to place the mind in an alpha mode. And what, that's, what that means is that it's trying to avoid activity or thinking. When you meditate in this world form, what it is trying to do is saying you ought to um, focus on your inner self. Empty yourself, you become the source of peace. It's centered around you, and it, 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 and it leads to like this tranquility of peace, and, it's, and some even try to say that you are like God. It's trying to, it's the escapism. You want to escape the stress of life. It manipulates the circumstances and the situation. What it's saying is that it, 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 it's trying to make sure that you're manipulated and you're escaping it, and it uses like the atmosphere and objects and silence in a sense, and breathing techniques, and they do mantras and chants so that you can have peace. Hear me, let me tell you why that's dangerous. Because you're trying to empty your minds, you're trying to escape reality, and you're trying to um, alter the mind, manipulate the mind, and it's dangerous because you put yourself at risk for satanic attack. I know you don't want to hear that. See, we don't talk about that. But you expose yourself because what you're saying is that, hey, let me be free. Let me empty my mind to what? 
so that I can be focused on, so that I can have my peace, so I can align with the stars or whatever the form there may be of. But embedded in these practices that come from the Eastern New Age religion, they are false religion, meaning they have false gods, which mean that anything that has false gods is therefore subject, and behind that is demonic attacks. And what we can't do, and that's why when you open your mind and you do that, you're subject to that. And we cannot sit here and take the practice of meditation that the world gives that is rooted in false religion and false gods and think that we would not be exposed or subject to the satanic attack. See, because they, they, mask, they mask the meditation as if this is a beautiful thing, but there is a dark side to that. Don't think that nothing stands alone. Everything that is physical and visible is preceded by that which is spiritual. There's a spiritual realm that's going on, so don't think that it stands alone by itself here. And when you meditate on the things of the world, again, you subject yourself to some demonic attacks. Why? Because Satan is the prince in the power of the air. And understand that some of you are like, well, I don't do that type of form of meditating. But if you don't meditate in that way, what are you meditating on? Are you meditating on the things of the world? Because the things of the world does not produce life. It doesn't give you the peace. It does not give you the power, the strength, the source of life that God's Word calls us to do or how God's Word does. But let me talk about this, 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 um, this attack, this how the satanic and how this demonic attack happens. It's very subtle, family. See, we think it's like raging in war, and sometimes there are satanic and demonic attacks that are really present and hard, and it's like a lot. But, in, but the enemy is crafty now. He's subtle. Let's take, for example, social media. Any form of social media, now hear me, the tool of social media in itself is not inherently bad. So don't hear me say that. Whether it's the tool of social media or even the things of this world. And understand, we live in an age where everybody's on social media. I remember when my mom got on social media, I said, what is the world coming to? I said, oh my gosh. She said, why you ain't check my friend request from 10 years ago? Because for my age, my people. <laughs> but no, we live in it. So everybody has it. Any form, YouTube, Instagram, social media, IG, whatever, Snapchat, you name it, Twitter, all of it. The tool in itself is not inherently bad. And even the things that the world that God has is not inherently bad. But hear me, when you meditate on it so much so that it becomes the source of your life, you then subject yourself to be influenced by satanic attack. Have you ever been on the tool, whether you've seen people or you've experienced some time meditating, being in the, the social media realm or even the things of the world, and you find yourself discontent? You find your heart unsettled. You become jealous. You experience, start, start feeling depressed. And what happens is that you start to question God. And you start to do the comparison game. And you compare your life with their life, your, their family with your family. And then you start to compare, and then you get frustrated and disgruntled, and then you act, and you're questioning God, and you're like, well, what's going on here? You know why? Hear me, because the attack of the enemy, the attack of Satan is subtle. 
For the non-believer, Satan does what he can as much to keep you from experiencing Jesus' life in the Lord. Meaning that he wants to not allow you to, to repent, and he wants to hold you back as much so that you don't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and become a believer. Because you're his child. Oh, hear me now. When you're not a son of the Father of God through Jesus Christ, you are now the son of the world, the son of the Satan. And that's real. And he wants to do everything he can so you won't leave his family. For the believer, Satan knows that he can't snatch you out of Jesus' hand because Jesus said no one snatches him out of my hand. And we know that the Scripture tells us that the Holy, seal, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a promise, as a, as a pledge token to seal us. So what he does is try to do everything he can to create the distance between you and God. He wants to hinder your walk so much so that bit by bit, little by little, you find yourself, you look up, and you haven't prayed in I don't know how long. You haven't read your word in how long. You haven't been connected to the body in how long. See, understand that the enemy is crafty here when you do these things and you meditate on the word, on the world. And when we meditate on the things of the world more than the things of God, we don't get to experience the transforming power that God's Word in Him produces. See, because here's the thing, you can't, something's going to dominate your mind. It's not a matter of, oh, it's this equal here. The Bible said you cannot serve two masters. Something will dominate your mind, and therefore will dominate your mind, dominate your heart, and therefore will dominate and dictate the behaviors that come out. He's subtle here. Satan's smooth with it. He's smooth with it. Think about when he engaged Adam and Eve. It was so subtle. He was slick. He was like, hey, what's up? He's like, did God's word really say? I mean, I'm just saying, you know. It was subtle. He was just trying to engage it in a simple conversation and realizing he's trying to alter and shape their perspective in what God said is good, and God gave them everything, and they in that moment engaged and was meditating on what, this, what Satan's Word was saying, and therefore they actually start to question, man, he is holding out on us. Hmm, man, we do want to be like God, and we know the result of that. Satan is subtle, family. When you indoctrinate yourself and meditate on the things of the world, it is it, it, it slowly, it's producing something. It doesn't just stand alone. And look, he even tries to go to Jesus and does the same thing. He tries to give them the things of this world, and he's very subtle, and he's like, hey, Jesus, come on, man, you see that? Don't let your foot hit the stones. Go have the angels come help you. Hey, listen, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. It's subtle, family. But Jesus, unlike Adam and Eve, responds with the Word of God. Jesus says, hey, it is written. It is written. Men don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written. Don't you test the Lord God. You see, as Jesus models for us that when we engage life and when we experience trials and hardship, how we ought to meditate and how we ought to do those things, and when we engage them, what we meditate on will come out and produce in us the life that we need in the moment for that time. Biblical meditation. You're like, all right, you got the worldly meditation. Biblical meditation 
is filling, is being filled with God's Word and what it reveals about Him. The Hebrew word for meditation derives from two, primarily two root words. The first root word is, I think it's like psych. I think it's pronounced that way. Listen, don't make fun of me. You can't pronounce Hebrew neither, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's like psych, S-I-A-C-H. I'm over here Googling how to pronounce this word or anything. I'm trying to figure it out. But anyways, here's what the meaning of it is. The idea of it is, this word, it is to muse, to contemplate. It is to, to be occupied with, to have, to concern about considerably. That's what the word means. And then you have the word hagah, which means it is like to coo, like a, like a bird or a dove, or like to growl, like that of a lion. It utters the sound. An uttering of a low sound, and hear me, this is so amazing, this is fire. What it means by this word Haggah, what she's saying is to growl like a lion. It's not like a lion that is trying to attack the prey. No, that ain't what it's saying. It, it, what it, what the, the meaning of that word is, like when the lion hits the prey and it's eating on the meat, it's growling with satisfaction. It's like he's growling, it's like, mmm, this is so good. And we know we've been there. You got your mama's cooking, your daddy's cooking, somebody in your family that can throw down or a restaurant that you got, and when you taste it for the first time, you're like, oh my God, this is so good. And get this, we've had it time and time again, and when you eat it, you act like it's the best thing you ever had, like the first time you taste it. You're like, oh, this is so good, this is so amazing. So we understand what it's like to take word, to take something to eat on it and to growl and to moan and be like, oh, this is so amazing. It's so good and it's so satisfying. And what we see is that biblical meditation is like that. It occupies our minds, we're concerned about it considerably, and it's so good for our souls. It's the well-balanced, it's seasoned perfectly. It's tender, like Kansas City barbecue meat. Come on, <laughs> just cook right to perfection. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing, and that's what happens. So when we meditate in the biblical form of it, of God's meditation, it's pondering, it's being occupied with God's Word and a deep reflection on it. Because get this, on His truth, because it is the, con the chief concern of our life. It is the source of our life. I love what Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, he says this about Christian life when it comes to meditation. Meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture. For the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer, notice when it comes to the form of worldly meditation versus biblical meditation. The world version of meditation is emptying the mind trying to make you the source of life, versus biblical meditation, which we see is about being filled with God. So that goes back to the question, what is your fuel? What are you meditating on? Romans, get this, Romans chapter 8, you don't have to turn, verse 6, it says this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God. We, Pastor Matt talked about the last week, God's authoritative word, how we ought to submit to it. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We have the emptying of the self and trying to be the source of life versus being filled with God because He is the object of our meditation because He gives us the source of all of those things. And the Bible is clear. When you look throughout Psalms, when we look throughout Psalms 119, the meditation is always connected to God. Even, even when you look at other parts in the New Testament, Psalm 119 throughout the Bible, in verse 13, we see that we ought to meditate on God's rules. Verse 15, we ought to meditate on God's ways. Verse 23, we ought to meditate on His statutes. Verse 27, we ought to meditate on His wondrous works. Verse 48, we ought to meditate again, it says, on His statute. Verse 78, meditate on His precepts. Verse 97, which was read, we meditate on the law all day. Verse 99, meditate on His testimonies. Verse, uh, verse 148, we meditate on the promises. And even in Psalms 48, verse 9, it talks about how we meditate on the unfailing love of God. Understand, when it comes to meditating, we are to be filled and meditate on who God's ways, His words, His work, His deeds, because it, it produces the transformation in our life that we need. What is your fuel? Meditation is cultivation. Meditation is cultivation. Meditation is worship, which worship is being cultivated by that which is on the thrones of your heart. So whatever is on the throne of your heart, you worship and you cultivate because you're meditating on. Because the Bible is very clear, the overflow, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you put in, what you meditate on, what you marinate on will come out. And how do I know that? When you engage and have a conversation with people, you can tell what matters to them the most. And I'm not talking about like engaging every life, but you can tell what's like driving them. And in this season, in this life, we are allowing people and we sit and we hear and they want to allow politics to drive their lives. It ain't God, it don't give you source of life. Or we want to sit here and we want to meditate on how we're doctors and how we want to talk about masks and not masks, and we want to sit here and condemn people. What's on your heart will come out. What you chew on, what you meditate on. What is it that fuels you? When you engage with people, is it that you're just so meditating on trying to prove them wrong? Or are you trying to meditate on God's Word so you can show them who Christ is? Because here's the thing. The behavior we display is connected to our meditation, as I said, and it's what we're cultivating daily. So the question here, because the behavior and how we talk about will come out. Let me ask you this, what comes out? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it unity? Is it kindness? Is it self-control? Is it gentleness? Is it graciousness? Is it mercy? Is it forgiveness? Or is it anger? Division? Jealousy? Pride? What is the behavior like? What we meditate on cultivates in our heart 
and produces worship because the throne of what we're, me- what we're meditating on is on the throne of our heart and it's going to come out. God wants us to meditate. He tells us, think about it. Even in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we see that Paul is talking to the Philippian church, and he's saying this. He tells them, hey, dwell on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovingly, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Then he goes on, think of these things, meditate on them, and then he says in verse 9, practice them. Romans chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 12, he says, hey, in order to not be transformed by the world, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because it will be pleasing to the Lord. Proverbs 22, 17 tells us that we ought to pay full attention to the wisdom and apply them. So then we know that what, so the question is, what do we do with God's Word? What do we do with God's Word? What is, excuse me, what is, we're going to handle two questions. What God, what God's Word is doing to us, and then what are we doing with His Word? See, because remember, the world form of meditation wants you to empty yourself, and you find your peace, and, 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 and to be detached from your stress and your problems, but we know that God doesn't tell us to lead our problems. He actually tells us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares. He tells us that when we are uh, weary and and feeling burdened, that we ought to come to Him and find rest. See, because we know that those things of the world would not ultimately provide peace. How do we know that? Because Jesus says to His disciples, and even to us because His Word is living, in John chapter 14, 27, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I leave to you? Let let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isaiah 26, uh, 3, it says, keep, you keep me, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. His word is creating in us a new heart. And renewing us a right spirit, as Psalms 51, as Psalms uh, chapter 50, verse 1 says. And then in Colossians chapter 1, 11, it talks about how it's strengthened to give us endurance to go forth here. That's what His Word is doing to us and in us. God's Word is working in us. It's renewing us from the inside out. It's producing Christ-likeness. It's giving us peace and rest and strength and endurance and freedom from sin. But oftentimes that we get disgruntled in life and when we encounter it and when we're encountering life, God is taking too long. But what's beautiful about, sometimes if you look at God's creation, it actually gives you an illustration for life. When you look at a a Chinese bamboo tree, it's fascinating because it takes about four to five years before it even cracks the ground. And sometimes it takes longer than four to five years, but oh, when it sprouts and cracks through the ground, it grows at considerable heights, at a very rapid pace. What am I saying? That means that it wasn't just five, six years, the seed of the bamboo was just planted and it never grow. It's be, something's being done on the inside 
in the ground, the roots are getting deep. It's getting cultivated and it's getting nourishment so that it's ready to sprout at the right time. What am I saying is that God's Word is like that. It's in us. And you may feel like He's not doing anything, but He's present. He said He's a very present help in trouble, and He's our counselor, and we can call on Him, and He's working in our hearts here. He's moving. Things are being cultivated. So when you meditate on Him, even in the midst of hard times or even in good times, He's working and it's cultivating stuff in you because you're digesting His Word. It's, you're fueling yourself with His Word, and you're saying, look, this is what I need. Even though the situation is hard, even though the circumstances I don't understand, life don't make sense, but God, Your Word makes sense. Your Word never changes. It's consistent all day, every day, unlike this world, which is not. So now we ask the question, what are we going to do with God's Word? What do you do with God's Word? And what we know here when you look at verse 9, and in Psalms, in these, chapter, in these verses that was read, we know in verse 9 it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. And in verse 11 it says, I have stored up or treasured your Word in my heart that I may not sin against you. What we know is that when we keep God's Word, it causes us to live in a pure life because we're pursuing the things of God, because we're keeping His Word, we're guarding the Word, we're storing it up like treasure because it's valuable and it's good. And when we do that, we're able, as the text says, that we might not sin against you because we're in relentless pursuit of the things of God versus pursuit of sin and the sin against God. And that's why what we got to do with that, are we keeping it, are we memorizing, are we pondering on it? Because Matthew chapter 6 verse 21, it says, whatever your treasure is, there your heart will be. What do you meditate more about? What is your fuel? Verse 10, it says, my whole heart I seek you. Let not, excuse me, let me not wander from your commandments. What are we seeking relentlessly with our whole heart? Again, whatever is on the throne of your heart, it will relentlessly produce in your life. It will overflow. What is it? Is it God's Word? Are we seeking Him? Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. And in verse 46, it speaks about how we don't have to be ashamed of God's—we don't have to be um, ashamed to speak God's Word when we stand before kings. And what we're saying here is that we must carry and declare all of God's Word, His authoritative words, on our lips. Because when we do, it gives us the boldness not to be ashamed when we are encountered life and when we encounter people that want to contrary, be contrary to what we say. That is what our friend—that's what the prophet Daniel did. Pro, the Daniel prophet got put in the lion's den because he was not willing to submit and worship the God, the kings, the rulers in that time. No, he said he knew who the real king and the God was. And so, therefore, because he was pursuing the true God, the true living king, meditating on it, they go, you know what? No, you don't. You got to go into the lion's den. And hear me, we have, God's word will give us the boldness to stand up to that. It will give us the courage to be able to do that because it's on our lips. It's in our hearts. 
Verse 15, it says that we must fix our eyes. It says in verse 16, I mean 15, it says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Again, what we meditate, what we consume, what, ocu- what occupies our mind the most, hear me now, let me tell you, it's going to come out. What you fix on will gaze. I mean, what you gaze upon and fix on will come out. And then verse 97, it says that we'll meditate on all. He says, oh, how I love the law. I meditated on all day. How sweet is that to know that wherever you go, God's Word can be meditated on at all times. So if you are in a hostile environment and you don't have your Bible, or if you're engaging in a conversation with someone, no matter at the gym or at home or on your marketplace, at your job, get this, God's Word can be meditated on in that moment. Even when you don't understand life in its circumstances, when we know that God's Word can be with us and it can be, oh, this is so good, hear me, God's Word can be carried with you to the doctor's office. You don't understand, listen, it's not bound by any walls. The gospel is not in chains, people. So wherever you go, it can come with you, and that should be a comforting thing. It's not like our cars, right? When you run out of gas, you praying you can get to the next gas station. I'm like that all the time. I'm like, I can go to the next exit. And then when you don't, you run out of gas. But God's word is not like that. Hear me now. I remember. When I was encountering something in my life, and I was just crushed, I didn't know what happened. I made this decision, my wife trusted me, we got these kids, Sally Mae living real comfortable in my basement. I'm just like, it's just, life is happening, you know? But I remember there was a time when I was in the kitchen, it was about 11 o'clock, and I was in front of some dirty dishes in the kitchen. And there was something that just stirred in me, and I just was restless. I'm thinking about the situation. I'm thinking about the problems. I don't know. And, you know, I'm trying to make one plus one equal two when things ain't adding up. And I just remember by a series of events, by listening to someone on a podcast that was talking about a Bible verse, and then I just start going down a rabbit trail. And then what happened is that it led me to God's Word where it said, the Lord is at, the, the hand of the Lord is at hand. That little phrase gave me so much peace. And I chewed on that, and I meditated on it, and I prayed to God because I was too being occupied with the things of this world and trying to make one plus one equal two. But what happened is that in that moment, I had a peace like no other. And guess what? When I opened my eyes, them dirty dishes was right there. <laughs> it was right there. The situation in the moment didn't change, family. But there was something about it where I moved differently because I knew that God had me. I knew that my life was in His hands versus me trying to have my life in, his, in my hands. And so when we meditate on God's Word, hear me, it comforts us in those times because you can take it everywhere you go. What do you meditate on? What is your fuel? And we come, do we meditate on the life giver? Do we meditate on the life giver? Namely, who Jesus is. In this Psalms, throughout all the verses, you see this phrase that is sprinkled in throughout all the Psalms 11 times, and then it says, it gives life. His word gives life. Your steadfast love gives life. Your justice gives life. 
Your precepts gives life. Your ways give life. You see throughout all Psalms 119, it talks about how it gives life. And it gives life in such a way that the world doesn't give it. Because Jesus came. The Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, that's good here. Jesus, fully man, fully God, came and dwelt among us. And Jesus says, I did not, I come to give you life and give it abundantly. Not just a little bit. Abundantly. And Jesus, when he talks to uh, the Jews in John chapter 5, he's, he's letting them know, and I'm summarizing this part, in particular around verse 37, uh, 38 and 39, he's saying, look here, the Word don't dwell in you. See, no, the Word don't dwell in you. You searching the Scriptures and you missing who the one is in front of you. And what he's getting at is that oftentimes we think that we just got head knowledge of God, therefore that's good enough. But no, we got to dwell and meditate on the life giver himself. It doesn't do enough just to have head knowledge. We must know the head and the heart. It must connect. We must know in our heart who Jesus is because he has given us the life, and he is the life giver because he came to do what you and I could never do. He did in six hours what took eternity to do, and he went to the cross to die for you and I. And the Bible says that when he died, he rose with all power in his hand, and when he met, and when he meets people, and he engaged people, he's letting them know, I am the living water here, family. I'm the one that gives us life. And so we can rest assured and meditate on the life giver because we know that he is good and he's defeated death and he's defeated sin and we're no longer in bondage and we don't have to meditate on the things of this world, but we can meditate on, his God, on, on him and his ways because it's giving us life. It's birthing in us and it's transforming us so that when you encounter storms and you encounter situations and people are kind of puzzled by how you're engaging, you can say, I know a man named Jesus. He's good. Well, how are you going to figure this situation out? I don't know. I know his word said he's good. He's faithful. He's just. I remember he, he got the Israelites out when they came across the Red Sea. They didn't have a way, but he parted the sea and it became dry. You start to marinate and you start to call and reflect on the things of God. When I say, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, it is saying that what we meditate on and what comes out of our mouths would and should be pleasing to God. The question is, what is your fuel? What are you meditating on? And I want to give you a few handlebars, a few tools on how we can meditate on God and his word. One of the ways is that we can emphasize each word differently. So if you see that God so loved the world, you can emphasize God, or you can emphasize so loved, or you can emphasize the word love. You emphasize different words of his text. Rewrite the verse in your own words so that you can understand to remember the core meaning and the principle of the text. What you can do is summarize God's truths and his teachings. Pray through the verses. Look for ways to apply, and then look for ways to apply the text immediately in your life. Again, those are just a few ways of how we meditate on. And my prayer here, Park family, is that we will be a people that is marked by meditating on the things of God versus the things of this world. Because what we meditate on is cultivated in our heart and therefore will overflow and come out. And what we want is for God to be glorified and people to see a king and a Jesus that is able to meet everyone right where they're at. 
So may we meditate all the days long, all the days long on God's word, on his deeds, on his faithfulness, on his promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you do. God, help us to be strengthened by your word, to call on your word in the time of trouble and even in time of good times, in times of unknown, to know that you're faithful, you're good, and your word is true, and it's never changing. So thank you that you provide ways for us to be filled in through your word, to know that it can transform us from the inside out, to know that your peace is not like the world's, but one that gives life and transformation. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Part Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.